Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning. And as you're turning there, I want to say a quick word of, of thanks. We do have one more Sunday here. Next Sunday will be our last Sunday as a family before moving to, to Nash Vegas, as some have called it, Nashville, to go to West End Community Church up there. We're looking uh, forward to the new call, but we are also sad and we'll miss you. Uh, they've asked us up there a few times what we're going to miss the most, what's been the hardest as far as leaving, and without hesitation, we've said it's the people, the relationships we're going to miss. We've grown to, to know and love you. Thank you for opening your arms to us. For loving us and encouraging us and being patient with us as we as we grow have grown in your midst um, we really really would miss you guys we'll be in contact we will um, have a place for you to stay in nashville when you come visit and uh, we will continue to pray for you and ask you to do the same for us ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 1 this is what it says i therefore a prisoner for the lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. Let me pray one more time. God, will you be with us now? Will you teach us from your word? Will you draw us up into the head, Christ, and unify us around our unity in Christ? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I am fully... A Presbyterian, so I love the theologian John Calvin, and I'm not ashamed of it. But I also love another theologian named Calvin, and he is from Calvin and Hobbes, a comic strip. And that Calvin is uh, a big teacher to me in the area of active imagination. If you've ever read the Calvin and Hobbes comic strips, Hobbes is the grounded one, he's the pet tiger, and he's all, always giving the dose of reality to Calvin whose head is usually up in the clouds with grand schemes, imaginative schemes, where he's putting a refrigerator box in the middle of the floor and it becomes a transmogrifier to turn him into whatever he wants to be turned into, or a host of other schemes that he has. What we learn from this Calvin is uh, to, to see things fresh, to wake up each day and to look through a different lens to see the possibilities of what could be. 
And I want to encourage you, encourage me to do that this morning as we approach this text. We read these truths in Ephesians, and we're like Hobbes. They just bounce off of us because we're used to hearing them. But brothers and sisters, the, the first hearers of this letter, as it was read, were amazed. We're blown away by the truths that you find of the gospel of God in the letter that Paul is writing to the Ephesians. And we've studied them all summer long. We're, we're, start, we're jumping into chapter 4, but we've been studying the whole book of Ephesians. And you can imagine that first church sitting there having the letter read to them as they hear truths like this. Blessed are you in Christ with every spiritual blessing that there is. You, blessed with every spiritual blessing. You've been chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Who, me? Yeah, you, who are... are Little old you, chosen, but by God before the world ever began to be saved. You were predestined to be adopted. You who feel so often like an orphan, like one abandoned by God. No, no, no. You're not abandoned. You were predestined before the foundation of the world to be adopted as his son, as his daughter. You have redemption through his blood, meaning that you ran the other direction. I ran the other direction and was sold into slavery. And Jesus, by what he has done, has come and bought you back, has paid the price to purchase you because you're that valuable to him. And you have an inheritance. Not only were you bought back and adopted, but you were given an inheritance that's beyond measure. They'll never perish or spoil or fade. And you've been given the down payment of that inheritance by having the Holy Spirit placed in your heart and life to remind you, to apply to you the benefits that Jesus has accomplished. And if you've been given a down payment, that means there's more to come. The fullness of the inheritance that is yours. You were dead, church. You were a dead individual. And you were made alive by Jesus Christ. You were saved by His grace, by nothing that you've done in and of yourselves. It's a gift of God. So the, there's no grounds for boasting. It's all what He's done in you. And then he brought each one of you together, Jew, Gentile alike, and created a new man, a new entity known as the church, so that it's no longer the nation of Israel anymore versus the world. But it's the plan that was from the beginning brought back together this one man, this new conduit of God to be a mission to the world. So that through us, as a body of believers, we come together and through us, God will make the mystery of the good news of Jesus known to the world until he comes again. You can imagine that first church listening to a letter being read with all these amazing truths just coming alive and, and almost as if they get to this point in the letter and they're, they're standing up, walking out the door, ready to go, take on the world for Jesus. The gates of hell will not stand against us. Let's go. And the reader says, wait, 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 wait. I'm not done yet. Sit back down. I've got a, a few more things to share with you. Some instructions on on how this looks on a day-to-day life, how it can work itself out in their life. And specifically, there's some threats that you need to know about, and then there's some tools that you need to know about before you run out the door. And brothers and sisters, as we hear this truth, that should be the heart. And I know it might never happen at First Pres where we all get so excited we run out the door together to take on Macon. But that should be our heart, right? On the innermost parts of us, as we hear these truths, we should say, that's who God has made us. That's who he's called us to. This is a great calling that we have. And so I say to us, if that's your heart, hold on just a second. 
Because the word this morning is to say, as you go to this great mission that God has called us to as a church, be aware of a few threats and then be aware of a few tools that God has given us as we go on our mission. That's the message that we've got a few minutes together to look at. The first, go forth, but go forth aware of these threats. The first one is the threat of pride. The threat of pride, where we find that? Verses 1 and 2, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. But to do that, in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Later he says that he's given gifts, he's given the apostles and prophets and evangelists, why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. By saying that, he's saying, hey, we're not mature yet. We've got some growing to do. There's plenty of room for humility as you go forth in your mission. And a big threat to that, a big threat to that mission is the individual pride that we have in our own hearts and lives. Pride is the first sin. It is the sin beneath the sin beneath the sin that we all struggle with. When Adam and Eve were, were given the, 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 the garden to, to maintain, to keep, to guard, God said, hey, there's one tree that you, you don't take of, you don't touch. And yet they come and they say, hey, God, we appreciate what you set up for us, but we think we know better. We want to be like you, knowing what's good and evil. We don't like the limits that you've set for us. And ultimately, we would rather believe the serpent rather than you and what you've told us. So we think we know what's best and we'll take. And it sent us into the downward spiral of sin. What is that? It's pride. It's thinking that we know best. Well, Paul says that's not how you go forth. That is destructive if you go forth to do the mission thinking that you know best. Thinking that you're going to do it in your terms, in your ways, without any limits. He says instead, go forth in, first of all, humility. Go forth recognizing the value and the worth of others. Not thinking that you've got it all figured out, but realizing the need you have of other people. The value that others bring to your life. Go forth in gentleness, or, or in one version says meekness, which is the idea of gentleness of the strong. The strength under control. I, I picture my roommate from Greenville, South Carolina that was a, a, a lineman for Georgia Southern University that was this huge hulk of a guy. But yet when it came to, uh, to, to, to pets or to children, he was so gentle. The strength under control. It's not weakness, it's meekness. And he says, not only that, but with patience. And patience just means long-suffering towards aggravating people. You know anybody aggravating? Patience just means you long suffer with those people because God has long suffered with us. He says that's how you go forth. Not pride that is so destructive. With humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. See, the threat of pride is that if we're individually prideful, then that backs out to the next circle and it makes us divisive as a church. Pride breeds division as a community, as a church. Pride at work in community is division. And Paul says there's no need for that. There's no need for you to focus on the things that divide you when you've got so much to unite around. 
That's why all of the ones that he talks about, starting in verse 4, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. He's saying, Christians, go forth in your mission, but don't go forth prideful thinking you've got it figured out. Go forth in humility, realizing you need each other. Bond together, unify around the things that matter, and don't let the other things divide you. When you come, when we're called together as a church, we should be very different. And our differences will be readily made known. Some of us will, will want, as a church, to go forth and, and do things differently. We'll want to, some of us will be passionate about this area, others passionate about this area. Some will have this view of worship, some others have this view of, of preferences of, of instrumentation, or wh- whatever it might be, that you'll be quick to be able to look at and say, man, look how different we are. And to start throwing accusations that divide. Paul says, hey, there's plenty of things, there's always going to be plenty of things that can divide you. Instead of being prideful and think you've got it all figured out, with humility and gentleness, loving each other, come together around what matters. And let that drive you into the mission that you've been called to. Because if you're divided, if you're prideful and you're divided, then that leads to the third thing that's a threat, and that is to be deceived. To be deceived, you see that later in verse 14 that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes but speaking the truth in love we're to grow up in every way he says hey if you if you're prideful and at least the division is the church then that's going to open the door for you to be deceived as a church and as individuals see the result of a fractured community is that there's no context to see that truth worked out in your community. And so it leaves room for there to be alternatives, to be thrown out by the culture of like, hey, that's, that's not the truth, this is. Okay, well, I haven't seen it worked out in this community, so maybe they're right. Things like, man, the church is just an institution. It's dry and dead and boring. Well, if you haven't seen it worked out in your church, that no, that's not true. When I come to worship on Sunday morning, that liturgy is not empty. That theology is not dead. If you haven't seen it worked out because people are too divided, they're mad at each other, they got smiling faces, but they have coldness in the room, then you've got no context to see, no, that's not true. When I come to worship, it's not empty, it's not dead, it's vibrant. People love each other there. They can't wait to come together to worship the Lord. Pride leads to division leads to deceit. Those are the threats to the mission that God has called us to as a church. When I was in seminary, I was able in my marriage and family counseling course to watch a video. I don't know how they got this woman to agree to this, but she was being videoed in a counseling session, and she was a lady who was cheating on her husband. And the counselor was going through this counseling session with her. She's bold enough to be videoed, so you know it had to be some blatant rebellion going on. And he said, let me just see if I can get to the root of it. I want to give you an analogy, and you tell me if it's right. She said, okay. He said, I want us to picture your relationship with your husband as an island. He said, okay. He said, now picture this island. My guess is that if you, view, if you drew this island, that the way it would be pictured is an island that's just overgrown with weeds. There's no beachfront property. It's just trash all on the shore. It's, it's a big island, bulky, hard to get around, hard to figure out, hard to navigate. She said, that's it. That's my marriage. 
He said, well, okay, let me describe your relationship with this new young man that you're involved in as an island over here, and it's pure paradise. It's beautiful. Sandy beaches, sunshiny all the time, makes you feel good, makes you happy, everything to enjoy. She said, that's it. That, you've described my relationships exactly. He said, then let me tell you the truth. And he said, now hear me. This new island over here, this island of paradise, will become this old island. She said, no. What do you mean? He said, I'm telling you, this new island over here that's so beautiful is going to become overgrown with weeds. It's become trashy beaches. It's going to become this other island over here over time. She said, no, it'll never happen. He said, yes, I'm telling you. And then at that time, you'll leave that island to go find a new island of paradise. But then it'll just be a matter of time before that one becomes overgrown. And so you'll leave again. He said, the problem is not with the island. The problem is with you. (laughs) And she didn't like that very much. But what was he saying? He said, hey, listen, unless you're ready and willing to do the work to clear away the weeds, to clean up the beaches, to make it that island of paradise, it's never going to be that way. You're just going to hop from island to island unfulfilled the rest of your life. When I thought about that, when I saw that, I thought about it, it describes perfectly the relationship with Christ and his church, his bride, right? That we're called together to. And it's so easy when we, when we get to, after you've been here, you know, a few months, years, whatever else, you get into the, the inner workings of the church, it's, it's easy to start to say, hey man, there's, there's too many weeds here. There's too much trash on this beach. I'm going over here to this other one. Well, guess what? <laughs> that one's going to be like that before too long as well. Because the problem is not with the church itself. It's with us as individuals. Pridefully thinking that we've got it figured out. Coming in sowing seeds of division so that deceit can happen. It, it becomes a weedy place where God says, no, I've called you together. Community, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his book, Life Together, which you need to get and read this summer. It's really short. Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A great read on, on Christian community. He says this. He says, community is not an ideal to be realized. To say, hey, I, I know how the church should look. I want it to look like this. Let me go make this happen. But it's reality, a divine reality that God gives to us. So First Presbyterian Church, this is us. Look around. You want to know what First Presbyterian Church should look like? This is us. It's a divine reality God has given us. So it says, quit trying to make your prideful vision of what you think things need to look like happen. And instead, start loving people. And that's where he goes. He says, beware of these threats and instead take advantage of these tools. And the tools are, first and foremost, love. <laughs> that's where he starts. Love. You see it in verses 3 and 8 through 11, 15, 16, over and over. It's laced with, hey, you want, you, you want to do this right? You want to go on this mission? Then love each other. And love is the God-given ability to sacrifice so that others might be more full in Jesus. You hear what I said? It's the God-given ability to sacrifice so that others might be more full in Christ. And so you say, hey, there's this issue I can't get past. I can't love this group over here. I can't love this person over here that's robbed me. It's just it's too much ingrained. It's too much who I am. The answer from this text is, yes, you can. And you must. Because it's God-given. As you and I understand more and more what Jesus has done for us, all of the things we just recounted in the letter that he's chosen us before the foundation of the world, that in love he predestined us, to be called according to His purpose, that he, he saved us by His grace, that He redeemed us. 
then we start to say, if he's done that for us, then okay, I can love this person that's hard to love. I can get past this issue and I can unite around those ones, those things that unite us, instead of letting the things that are different divide us. And that's what love leads to, secondly, is unity. Growing together, rallying around the same things. In uh, Bonhoeffer's words, enjoying the shattered reality of this ideal that we had so that the real work of loving each other can begin. If we were to start a church today and you were to draw up on your picture what you think it would be like, my guess is if we have a hundred of us, we'd have a hundred different pictures. Because we all think we know what it looks like, but yet God would put us together and quickly would shatter that dream that we held so tightly. And then the work which could start for us to begin to love each other through Jesus. Say, hey, if he's done that for me, then I can do that for these people. I can love each other. That's what we're called to in unity. And then to be moved from love to unity to equipping for the mission. Okay, if I begin to love my brothers and sisters and begin to be unified, this sense of unity, then all of a sudden we start longing to be equipped to go do the work that he's called us to do. And if we're on mission, then we need equipping. We need on-the-job training. We need what some have called this exile discipleship. We're in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. We live as exiles in this world. We're out in the world. And so we need to go out living for Jesus and come back and be equipped to go out again and live for Jesus and then come back and be equipped. If, if any of that process uh, is broken, then things aren't working correctly in your life and in the life of the church because it would be going out to minister to people and they would be coming back to be renewed and equipped and discipled. And that's why he's given us pastors and teachers and shepherds and evangelists to equip us for the work of the ministry that is to be done on a day-to-day basis. And then to fill in in the areas where we're not equipped. Those are the tools that God has given us for the mission at hand. That's a big task. We've got pride in our hearts. We have seeds of division. We are susceptible to deceit. How do we do this? The answer is right in the middle of the text. You do it. That we've already said through Jesus. That's why verse 8 says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he held a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, the only way that you can do this is if you know and are being nourished and strengthened by Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that has, has, has gone before us and accomplished this. Where we fail in every area, he succeeded. And then he died for our failures, our mistakes, our sins, our rebellion, and gave us his perfect record. And then it says he did more than that. He left us his spirit. And he deposited it in our hearts as a guarantee of what's to come. And that spirit draws constantly from the accomplishments of Christ and applies it to you personally. So what do you do when people are hard to love? 
What do you do when you find the ugliness of pride in your life or the seeds of division in your midst or the temptation to be deceived? You run to Jesus, the one who descended to the earth in all humility and then obliterated the wall of hostility to bring peace between us and him and us and each other. Bonhoeffer was a man who was standing for the Lord in a really, really hard time in the midst of a war, in the midst of a lot going on in his country, his home country that he didn't agree with. Part of an underground church had chances to stay in America in safety and chose to go back and be a pastor in the underground church. And speaking of community, this is what he says. It's true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It's easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brothers is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers. I want to apologize for the times in the past six years that I've taken that grace for granted. Because you are brothers and sisters in the Lord, given to me, given to each other, to encourage, for us to unite together around that one, Jesus Christ, and then to go out into the world with that Christian community, with brothers and sisters linked arms, to take that great mystery of what God is doing through Jesus Christ into our workplace, into our neighborhoods, into our families, and to see the gospel change lives and change this community. That is the the great calling that we have the privilege to walk in this week. Let's pray for God for strength to do that. God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has come and descended to live the life that we can't live, to die on the cross for our sins, to give us his perfect record, and to deposit Holy Spirit in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to apply the benefits of what Jesus has done to our lives daily for us to draw strength from you to love each other, to be humble and patient, to be unified, to guard against the deceitful schemes of the world, to move forward, to see your mission accomplished, to see more and more come to know you, and to see our community transformed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.